What's up, RTC? This is the Career Progressions Podcast, brought to you by RevealTalent.com. I'm your career advocate, Mark Allred. You know, building the career you want is no longer about climbing the ladder of success. Technology and the speed of information have made advancing in your career like climbing a rock wall. Our podcast focuses on the stories of career pros and experts who have climbed before you. What they share will help you find the climbing holds they use to get where they are today. Their stories will help you be proactive, be intentional, and keep moving forward. So let me tell you the tale of two candidates. A few years ago, I was hiring a new account manager to replace someone who was recently promoted out of my group. I always have the luxury of being very picky about who I hire because the account manager roles that I was hiring for were always very popular. Not only did I get excellent candidates, but my biggest challenge was always choosing one great candidate over another. I know, good problem to have. As a result, everything a candidate brought to the interview was worth its weight in gold. The interviews were going great, and on one particular day, two candidates just absolutely blew me away with their experience, their personality, and their skill sets. And when I got to the end of the interview with one candidate, I asked them if they had any questions. And in very organized fashion, they inspected a couple of pages in their notebook, and they said, "Uh, you know what, you've answered some of my questions, but here are a few others I had that I'd love to get your perspective on. They went on to ask some really insightful stuff, Uh, but on the other hand, when I got on to the second interview with the other candidate I really liked, I said, hey, do you have any questions? And they simply responded, yeah, I don't think so. And that was pretty much the end of the interview. Do you see what happened there? I mean, like two gymnasts that had just uh, put together pretty flawless routines, only one of them nailed the dismount. When, you know, when the interviews are so close to call, you don't want to pull a single punch. So today, we're going to have a conversation about powerful questions you can ask to close out your interview on a high note. To have that conversation, I've brought along Ange Onorato. Ange specializes in helping budding entrepreneurs launch their unique business ideas and goals into business realities. She's also a leader in executive leadership, business operations, growth strategies, human capital management, and success coaching. As the founder of Joymark Success Coaching, Ange combines over 25 years' experience in corporate leadership with her clinical psychological background to help mission-driven leaders create impactful businesses that align with their souls as well as their bank account. I love that. Hey, Ange, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. So when we were talking about uh, what we're going to talk about the other day, you immediately brought up this topic and the passion just started flowing out of you. So what is it about this part of the interview that just gets you so fired up? Yeah, and and I appreciate the, the question, and and I'm glad that um, that my passion did come out, you know, about it. And as I mentioned, or you mentioned for me, I've been uh, in this space for for many many years, and I have been on all sides of the interview process, you know, as an executive candidate, as an interviewer, as a coach. And the reason that I think that the the part of an interview where the candidate is being asked directly, "Do you have any questions for me?" is often confusing, confounding, and and the story that you just illustrated, often it's not handled very well by the by the candidate. 
And the reason for that is kind of twofold. I think on one hand, we put so much emphasis on the candidate prep about their research of the interviewers, their research of the company, um, reading the job description, making sure they understand the job description very well. And there really isn't a lot of focus on what else should they be asking, right? There's mm -hmm. so much talk about know the market, sound educated about the company and their revenues, but we don't teach them how do you actually get to end the interview? How do you close it down? How do you stay memorable in the minds of the interviewer, right? So. I think in, in essence, we have taught people for generations that interviewing and being a candidate is only about promoting yourself, but really having the, rather than being interactive discussion, it becomes more of a one-way nature of the interviewer, where the interviewer has the power, so to speak, in that relationship, in that dialogue, and the candidate is there just to kind of regurgitate questions. And so for me, 20, 25 years ago, I came up with this, what I call the one, two, three punch uh, questions, and it's really designed around helping the candidate also do their due diligence of, is this a place I really want to work? Right. Are these people that I want to work for and with? And it goes way beyond the cultural piece of what the company says, but is this a place I want to be? And so for that, um, that's where I come from. And I've had probably, you know, 20 years of successful placements where I can honestly tell you that in all the years I've coached people in this regard, um, I think it's about a 99% success rate where wow. people have come and said, I've either gotten a job or I gave me enough information to realize at the end of the day, I realized I didn't want it. So I think it's an important topic. Well, I tell you, anything that you've been training people on for 20 plus years and you're still doing it, that's a, a, quite a testament to the fact that there is some value there and 90%. Yeah, it's a number I'd take. So, so tell me more <laughs> about it. Uh, you know, so tell me about the one, two, three punch strategy, or and what makes it so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, I, I think it has it is it's a very basic, simple approach, and that's the number one part about it. I think that's why um, you know it has proven the test of time. And when I think about you know the world of of recruiting or leadership or executive search, whatever it is, in the last 20 plus years, you know, we've gone through major economic changes, market changes. Uh, you know, I'm talking about going through this approach before there were things like LinkedIn, right, where you could easily market yourself. So I think that um, what evolved and what I kind of came up with uh, in terms of this approach, um, it's really taking information that we already know about um, the job or the interviewer, but it's really putting it back on the interviewer in a way that it becomes very clear. You're almost re-asking the question. You're reselling them on giving me more information about, you know, why I want to be here. And as, and that's number one. And the second reason why we take this one, two, three approach, and I'll, I'm sure you're going to want to ask me to kind of get into what are those questions. Yeah, but at some the, point. The, right. <laughs> the logic behind it is it's also to kind of tap into the psychological approach of this, right? Because we want to get into what does the actual interviewer think of the role um, themselves, right? So a lot of times, uh, no matter who you're sitting in front of, there might be one boss, but you might be interviewing with three or four people that are all decision makers, right? And so what happens is they're reading a job description and without them realizing it, they're kind of reciting it and they're just sort of following along and saying, well, this is what the job entails. But when you ask them the questions I'm going to go over in just a second here, what you're doing is you're asking them to bring down their own wall and put the job description as written of, on the side a little bit 
And you're kind of asking them directly, based on what we all both now know about this role, what are your opinions about it, right? So it's a way to really get them to, to kind of engage a little bit further. Uh, and that's why it's so different and unique because candidates don't do it. And it really can tend to put the interviewer off guard a little bit, but in a good way, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, hey, for those listening, get a pen. I mean, obviously, this is a time to take down some things that might let you stand out in an interview. So let's hear about punch number one. What's the first part of the strategy? Yeah, so the first part of the strategy, uh, and this is usually where I'll start to get the initial kind of eye rolls from the candidate that I'm, I'm coaching, and they'll say, why would I ask this? Because it's already in the job description. But the first question is, and the way that you want to pre uh, present it is to the interviewer, based on everything we have now just discussed about the role, what would you say are the top two or three most important goals or objectives that the successful candidate should really accomplish in the first six to 12 months in the role. Now, you can put that in your own words, but in, in essence, what we're trying to ask the interviewer here is, okay, I understand the role, you understand my background because I just went through it, but based on that, who's gonna be the most successful person in this role based on what are they going to have accomplished in the first year mm. so that you as the employer would say that was a good hire and me as the candidate could say, this was a successful job that I accepted, right? So what, what does success look like? But not just in terms of what was in the bullet points on the job description. What is the interviewer's opinion that if this person accomplishes this, this, or this, that's really going to make them a success? And I can give you a quick example of that. Yeah. And in job descriptions, they'll give us a lot of measurable metrics, right? Or basic conclusions of the role. But when you ask that question of an interviewer, often you're gonna say, well, we're gonna automatically assume that you're gonna accomplish those things of which we're hiring you. But to be a true success might be if this person has successfully navigated, you know, the global organization and got themselves on internal committees that nobody asked them to do, right? Something that's different and unique. In that interviewer's mind, that makes this person much more uh, successful because they've done and accomplished some things that weren't necessarily in the job description, but that they deem are so important. That's why you want to ask that question. Well, it's a great call out because I'll tell you, I, I, I've hired a lot of people. And most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I, I did not, I was not the one who wrote the job description. You know, that was somebody in another chair. And and although it says it's looking for X, Y, and Z, and I'm not saying I didn't need those things, they weren't necessarily what I would have said if I was asked that question. So I love the start. Absolutely. And that's that's the crux of it, is that I think a lot of interviewers on teams think that they are, you know, they're collaborating, they're part of the team, they're towing the company line, they're reading the job description and giving their opinion based on that normal engagement, the normal way that an interview gets conducted. But when they're kind of asked directly and very generously by the candidate, give me your own personal opinion. Yeah. Not only does does that give the candidate due diligence as to what the expectations are, but it also gives the candidate an opportunity to perhaps sell themselves to a skill or an experience that hasn't come up yet in conversation or that wasn't in the job description or that they, know, that they didn't know they needed. But when they found out, well, how that might be something that looks like this could be uh, leading to real success, 
that gives them one less opportunity, one more opportunity, one less opportunity not to disclose something that could be very valuable in their favor. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we're off to a great start. Obviously, that's a, a very powerful question to kind of get that moving in there. So once that question has been delivered, where's the second punch? What's going on with that one? Right. So following sort of the same behavioral and psychological model, the second question is, after they've answered the first question and you've got your due diligence and say, oh, that's really great, that I typically say, well, along those same lines, what would you say are the most important or the top one or two personality traits or characteristics that this ideal person should also possess in order to be a perfect fit in addition to the role? Now, when people ask me that question, they say, well, and is it, and aren't I already getting that answer when they tell me about the company culture? Hmm. And my automatic answer is absolutely not. Because if you think about what I just said versus the topic of company culture, they're two very different things, right? They're parts of the same important aspect, but company culture is talking about the company as a whole. What does the company stand for? How does it operate? You know, what, what's the, the, the larger picture of that? What this question is designed to ask and following that same methodology of question number one is you're directly asking just that interviewer their opinion of the personality, the characteristics that might be ideal for this. For example, rather than saying company culture, we, we like to work hard and play hard, which is something you'll hear all the time, mm. you might get from the interviewer something like, particularly to your point, Mark, when maybe you might be interviewing but the hiring manager or somebody else, right? And you might say or have knowledge that the actual hiring manager is somebody that is very good strategically, but isn't very good with time management, for example. So their response to you might be, I think that somebody that is a very structured, very time intensive person, very disciplined, would work really well on this team because that might be a capability that the hiring manager doesn't necessarily possess. That way you'd be a nice compliment to them, right? Right. That's something that would never come out in a job description. And it certainly doesn't get addressed when you talk about company culture because company culture is about the company. This is more about, you know, how can I fit in? Sometimes it's not even that formal. It might be something even more uh, generic, which might be, hey, there's a bunch of us here that, you know, or people that love to, you know, play ultimate Frisbee or brew our own beer and we get together on the weekends or do that. It might just be another way for you to sell yourself to say, hey, I could be a good member of this team socially and professionally. You're going to want me on board. Right. So there's just more due diligence that you get to uncover from the interviewer. And it's important to ask each and every interviewer, all three of these questions we're going to go over because they're all going to get different answers. All of that information together is what gives the candidates some ownership and making their determination whether this is going to be a fit or not. Yeah, and it's it's also going a long way towards painting that picture of of you as the perfect candidate. I mean, you're giving the hiring manager a chance to see you in that role, and not only just uh, you know how you bring the top three things that they feel like they're going to need. But also how your personality is going to fit into place there. So I'm 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 pretty impressed with one and two, and we still got one more to go. <laughs> you absolutely do. And 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 the the final question, as you can probably imagine, is really just your your true closing question. And you use the the very word mark that I 
I start with when I when I give this to folks, because by closing the candidate down, uh, I'm sorry, when you close the interviewer down, what the candidate is doing is you are, in essence, trying to get the interviewer to visualize you in the role. That's the key part, right? So the third and final question is really just the, the closing question. It could be as simple as saying, thank you for all of this information, for your time. Based on everything we've talked about so far, on a scale from one to 10, where do you see me as uh, the candidate for hire for this role? Wow. Or an ideal clan or a, an ideal candidate. Now, I will also tell you that 95% of people that I share that with that are not already, if they're not applying for a sales role, they're going to initially cringe at that. They're going to say, that sounds aggressive. That sounds scary. That sounds salesy. And it absolutely is not. And I can explain why. First and foremost, I'm the least salesy person you'll ever meet. I have a psychology background and I never even saw myself even entering in business 25 years ago. So the fact that I now can have this roll off my tongue and I've been coaching people for 25 years with this is a testament to the fact that it's not actually salesy. We're just told to believe that it is. So if using a scale number from one to 10 is really uncomfortable for you, quite frankly, you can just leave it out. But still say to the interviewer, based on everything we've spoken about, where do you personally see me as a fit for the role or an ideal candidate for this role? What inevitably happens is they never, ever expect you to ask them that, number one. Mm. And if you approach it in that way, they're not going to take it aggressively. They're actually going to sit back and say, well, they might give you a direct answer. They might say, I'm not certain yet because I still have more people to interview. Or they might give you a 7 out of 10. And you're going to say, well, that's great. What would it take to be a 10? Well, I just have to have my debrief meeting yet. I don't know what the rest of the team feels like. Mm. Or they might come back and say, I love everything that you said to me, but I'm just not certain if you're strong enough with Excel, for example, that we might need. Well, what is that? Ding, ding, ding. That's one less. Uh, one last final opportunity for the candidate to say, to sell themselves about a skill or an experience that, again, did not come up yet in the interview or the job description or the resume that may normally have disqualified them. But because it brought it out by asking the question, it was one last minute thing the interviewer thought of that got addressed. Right. And so the reason that we do this one, two, three approach is all the reasons I mentioned earlier, but the most important thing is in my entire career as an executive recruiter, and I call my candidate after and I debrief with them, I honestly can't tell you how many times I would hear from them, oh my gosh, the interview went great. I think we bonded great. We had great dialogue, only to come to find out that they don't get the job. Hmm. And then when I debrief with the client, because I work for an executive recruiting firm, and I'd say, what was it about this candidate? And Oftentimes, it was something so minor, so minute, that they just didn't get a chance to get the full picture from the candidate, hmm. right? So it's not necessarily a deficiency of why they didn't match up in the interview. It's just that the interview itself didn't extract the right information at the right time. Yeah, and I, you know, a couple of things that this brings to mind, uh, you know, first and foremost, I hope everybody's hearing how valuable it is 
to get the opportunity to to address a concern, and this question opens the door for that. I think if for no other reason to consider making this a part of your strategy and in interview, that's one. The other thing this brings up is, you know, shoot, I feel like I've interviewed some of the people you've coached before because I've been asked that question. <laughs> I've been asked the question on a scale of one to ten, you know, how do, well do you think I fit the position? And I don't mind it. Now, I do mind a question, so am I your guy? You know, if somebody just mm-hmm. – uh, I think that gets a little aggressive, and I get that because uh, I don't like to be cornered in that in that scenario. I like to keep my cards at my chest until it's time to make the decision. But I think to give them an idea of where they fall on that uh, I, is certainly a fair question, and it gives me the opportunity to, to do exactly what you said, to open the door for them to, you know, look at where I might be struggling and, and maybe get a chance to address it. So mm-hmm. That's it. Excellent, excellent point, Mark, and I'm, I'm really appreciative that you brought that up because I, I think I, I said it earlier, but I want to make sure that we emphasize that these questions, these three questions that I am um, recommending, they, it is so critical that the listener understands the approach behind it, number one, but also the fact that there are some very, very minute nuances with the right wording that you use, right? So the word visualize, I think you can make this feel very less aggressive by asking that one to 10 question by even saying to them, on a scale from one to 10, where do you visualize me as potentially being a candidate for hire, right? So what you're asking them is not to tell me a decision, Mm -hmm. not to tell me yes or no, not to feel cornered into the back, but it's more like, can you visualize me? Is there something I haven't addressed? Is what you're, you know, is there something that we haven't, that you might still have a question mark about that hasn't come out yet? That's basically what we're trying to get to. And so by using appropriate wording and making it soft in your presentation, but still getting the point across, you're still trying to close them down enough to let them know that you're interested. And now there's one final part of why that is such a critical part to close down the interviewer is I think that people think it's only important if you're going in for a sales role. But it's really important that your listeners understand as well that no matter what role you're going for, if you want to be considered and thought of and deemed as a leader in whatever level you're going in or whatever function, that if you can't really own the closing down of your portion of that interview, that's not going to translate well to that interviewer seeing you as a leader of people or of a function that if you go, if you're in the job and you go to, to a meeting, can you close that meeting down? Can you walk out of that meeting and get action items? Can you direct, can you delegate? Can you close out a, a hour long meeting with directives, right? So psychologically, there's more to just, hey, I want to get this job, but it's an approach of, how does this candidate think? They're promoting, they're listening, they're engaging, they're asking questions, they're doing due diligence. And then before they walk out of the room, they are closing it down enough to make sure they've got agreement or at least an action step for next, whatever it might be, right? So it's so important because it's not so much what you're saying, but it's the fact that a candidate is even doing this approach to begin with is going to show the interviewer that they have some real leadership qualities. Yeah, and I think the way you you spell it out, it does. It gives them the opportunity to showcase some things. And you know, it's it's a unique approach because I think a lot of people really just think about the questions that they're asking in an interview as just being a way to learn things about the position of things that they didn't already know. And mm-hmm. and you're showing it as something bigger than that. 
But let me address another piece. So you were talking about that, you know, the scale of one to 10 could scare the bejeebies out of some people uh, in asking maybe being a little aggressive. So it's an important thing to remember. You know, you want to get out of your comfort zone before the interview, not not during. Right. So if mm-hmm. that's a question that that, you know, concerns, eh, am I going to be able to ask that? Do I feel comfortable asking that? Boy, I'd put that into practice beforehand. And I just want to put something out there. I mean, one of the things that's a part of the Reveal Talent community is the opportunity to, to get out of your comfort zone and prepare in a way that no one maybe has helped you prepare before. And there are a couple of resources that are available to do that. One of them is a one, one-way one interview opportunity we can give you that you can record yourself and get feedback on it. So try the question out. See if it works and uh, if it plays into your strategy and how does it look when you're asking it. How valuable is that? That's great. And then you know, there's even an opportunity to do one-on-one interview practice with uh, one of our revealed talent um uh, advocates who can can give you some direct feedback as well. So don't let, you know, concern about or just that this is maybe a different strategy hold you back from doing something that can make a huge difference in your in your interview. How do you feel about that, Ange? 100%. Um, I think this is why I've loved teaming up uh, with Reveal Talent Community and with you, Mark. What you guys have put out to market uh, I'll be honest, I mean, if it existed 20 years ago in this format, in this nature, and and, and this expertly, um, I think that, uh, you know, we could have impacted so many more candidates and so many more good talent could have been in the right jobs, which makes impact for businesses and it impacts families in the right way. I mean, it is so critical, right? The way that you and I see job search and hiring isn't just as a tactical thing. This is something that's so important that if a candidate gets in the right role, they're not going to be bringing home immense, immense amounts of stress and, and distress and all kinds of things, right? Because yeah. they're not going to like their job. So this is a really, really important nature. And so if we think of it in those terms, um, it is so critical to practice, 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 to get the coaching, to 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 step out of your comfort zone, like you said, to, to do things you wouldn't expect yourself to do, like we do in so many other aspects of our lives and don't think of it. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of weekend warriors will will spend time and money going to tennis and golf practice, but we won't do it for interviewing. Right. Right. And it's just critical. It's it's a life and a professional and a personal lesson. Uh, and Reveal Town Community has so many different products and services that um, I just, you know, I wish it existed many, many moons ago. So I'm I couldn't agree more. Well, and it hopefully will be a wonderful source of support for a lot of folks to come. Let me get back to the questions a little bit here, too, because I've got one that I know my audience would love, want me to make sure to ask you and get your opinion on. So one question that people always feel a little uncomfortable about and when it's the right time is that salary question. So as you've been coaching folks and you get to that point of an interview that it's time for them to ask some questions, what's, what's your formula for when's the right time to go down that road? Great, great question. And, and I would say conversely to, um, you know, where I've shared that the, the three questions are something that has been tried and true and it really has run the test of time and hasn't really changed in my approach. I think that the salary question has changed in terms of what's appropriate with that. And I think a lot of that comes to um, just the, the efficiency of, of how hires need to be made, how competitive the markets are. Um, New rules and regulations, right? In many states, where it gets, you know, it's prohibitive in some cases to to ask uh, candidates certain, you know, questions. But 
I think it is um, really, really important that it's done at the right time in the right way. And so um, if you were to ask me this 10 years ago, I probably would have a different answer. But I do feel that um, if it has not come up right in the um, the first full interview, and let me let me clarify what I mean by that. Um, it's also very common practice today um, that their uh, candidate might be getting a very intro kind of what we call in, in our in the recruiting world, like a screening call. Right. right. And that might be with a sourcing person or maybe an entry level recruiter. And that person's just kind of saying, you know, hey, are you available? Are you really interested? Where do you live? Et cetera, et cetera. That may not be really getting into the need of the role. But when you get into um, and if they haven't shared at least some parameters about salary expectations at that point, which they probably haven't, uh, then I would say it is actually appropriate in that first full range interview, right? If you're sitting down face-to-face or face-to-face on a Zoom, um, not with anybody on the team, but only if you're dealing with the direct hiring manager. At that point, if it has not yet come up, then I think it is appropriate to say at the very end of everything we just went through, Right. Because, again, to your point, you don't want to come across that you're only money motivated or you just want to know this before you go any further. But what you're asking is you want to make sure that you're not wasting each other's time. Right. Um, And so you could ask the question in a way to say, based on everything that we've spoken about or wasn't shared with me previously, is there an approximate range or salary band or expectation that you see for this role. It would just be helpful to see if we are all on around the same page, right? I think it could be asked in a way to get the information out without being aggressive or again, without being pushy. Um, because I think a lot of times old school thought is, you know, the candidate should never talk money unless it's mm. brought up by the interviewer. Um, but I think if it's presented in the way where it's under that same approach and mentality that we just went over, where it's about due diligence, right? You're not even asking for a number. You're really just saying, has there already been an established range for the role, right? Yeah. That is more in alignment, I think, with today's um, approach. Again, there are a lot of states where they can't even come out. Conversely, they are not allowed any longer to ask a candidate, what is your salary? Right. Right? It has to be, what are your expectations? So there's really nothing that says you can't ask that same question in reverse, but just pose it as expectations of a approximate salary range or a band, right? And I think that's that's a way to start the conversation either now or within short period after your interview, assuming they're going to move forward in that direction. Yeah. So so I'm going to say something now that I know is going to make some folks out in the audience just cringe. But I tell you, I want to challenge you with it. So all this stuff that you're talking about, Ange, makes so much good sense to me. And I think there is that opportunity to have that conversation. But how much more valuable would it be and how much more confidence would you have if you were able to walk into that question after having the chance to see it on film? And let me tell you what I mean there. It's like these football players that they get to watch their performance on the field and they watch the game tape to see how what they did look. I mean, if this is something you feel uncomfortable asking, you know, let's let's record you doing it. Let's do a mock interview and look at it, and then and ugh, watch watch the film and see. And do you feel comfortable? And if you aren't, you know, let's adjust it. Better to adjust it before an interview than trying it out for the first time in a setting that if you mess it up, you're going to miss the opportunity. 
So, you know, just a reminder, whether you do it in the Reveal Talent community or you just do it by getting on your own personal Zoom call and and practice, do something that gives you a chance to see it. What do you think, Ange? I, I... I, I couldn't give it enough likes, Mark. <laughs> a couple <laughs> not, thumbs up. I can't. I can't give it enough thumbs up because um, your analogy is perfect. It's it's what I said earlier, right? I think there's so many areas in, in life and things that we practice and we schedule and video, especially, is the way of the world, and yet we don't think of it in terms of the things that are going to be the most impactful and beneficial to our our lives, our families' lives, our development. I mean. If you look at it another way, I'm, I'm going to just kind of put a, a quick excl- exclamation point on this. The salary, money, benefits, compensation, promotion, you know, uh, everything I'm mentioning to you right now, you could really modify if you're trying to talk to your boss internally to ask for a promotion, right? Mm. Um, these are very uncomfortable conversations and questions for the majority of the population. And a lot of that actually goes back to if you really think about it, it goes back to our own individual personal money stories, right? So if people have grown up in a way where, you know, they came from a house that said, don't talk about money or, you know, keep it away from the children or money doesn't grow on trees or whatever the, however you've grown up, it becomes very difficult often for people to sit across from almost a complete stranger and start talking about money. That's very personal to them. The only way that I can think about it being beneficial is to practice and practice and practice with the safety and support of a Reveal Talent community advocate. Like you said, yourself, Amir, whatever you do, definitely practice it. You want to walk in there to be the most calm, cool, collected, and confident, and know that you're you're allowed to ask a question. You're allowed yeah. to present it in a way that um, doesn't put people off, first and foremost, not putting your own self you know, out of the, out of the game. Yeah, and great feedback there for sure. And so, so Ange, before we're we're starting to get toward the back end of things, but we're also getting to that uh, that question that I love to ask everyone. I, you know, I'm so blessed to have folks in my network like yourself that have some expertise in areas that I think are so valuable to to have conversations about. And I and I know that's one of the values that you bring to a conversation like this. But what, one of the other things is your own personal story, your own journey. And there's so much to learn from that. So I, I tend to ask folks, hey, would you be willing to get a little vulnerable and, and talk about some of the tough times in your trial? And I know we've been talking about a very specific part of an interview. And I would certainly invite to open, you know, I mean, for you to open your answer beyond just this, if you want to. But, you know, is there a time in your journey where you were feeling some of the discouragement or anxiety that some of the folks that are listening right now are feeling? And, you know, can you tell me about that and how you kind of dealt with it? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and it's a great question. And I will tell you, my most challenging and difficult part of my career journey um, is actually what led me to end up doing what I'm doing today, <laughs> um, as, as they tend to do. But um, yeah, to be honest, uh, you know, I went to college for a completely different field. I had a different vision since the time I was about 13, 14 years old. I used to tell the story to people that, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be sort of a, you know, a big influencer, like Oprah's next Dr. Phil or something, right? I wanted to be out there in the mat. I never saw myself sitting in a, in a corporation or anything of that nature. But um, but things changed. I got to, to school and ended up getting a job, uh, you know, right after after college and did it for a number of years and found some things that I, I really enjoyed. But I hit that critical point about five years into my professional career where um, 
and I, I bet a lot of people are at this point today, both at either where they are in their career. I think COVID has raised the bar for a lot of people to to have the same internal question of like, I don't think I'm happy what I'm doing, or I don't think I'm built for this, or I want to do this, but not exactly this whole job. I want to take this experience and maybe do it a little differently. But that's where the challenge comes in, right? So for me, I wanted to do certain things that I was learning in my career five years in at that point. Um, but I had no idea how to get to the next level. And so what happened was I found myself looking at job descriptions and nobody wanted to hire me because I didn't mm. have enough either requisite experience. I didn't have enough years of experience. I didn't know what I didn't know about certain things, but I also couldn't find anybody that would give me a chance. So I had to go onto this journey. It took me about two years and certainly, you know, could come back on. I'd, I'd love to maybe have this be another topic. We could talk about how do you pivot your career to a completely different skill set? when um, you, you just don't have the, the foundation for it. What's that process? And so I had to go through a very structured step-by-step -step process. And believe it or not, I ended up going to uh, a recruiting coach just like this. It didn't hardly exist many, many moons ago, but we kind of made it work. And he gave me some steps to advise and how I could do that. And I followed his direction to the T. For two straight years, I did that. And then eventually I was able to fully pivot into the role that you know evolved and created to my career the last 25 years so it's challenging and difficult because i really felt like i was on an island until i met him mm. and when i met him and someone that understood me as a person and how do i pivot how do i brand how do i extract my skills my interests my passions my purpose and how do i make that become a career and um so i think it's incredibly valuable i think a lot a lot of people are at this point today and there's so much noise and activity and and and, and fast-paced uh, approach that I don't know how people are doing it right now without a, a career coach, to be perfectly honest. And that's not me just trying to promote the show, which I love, but I really believe that in, in my own career and the way I've lived my career. And if you don't have the coaching, it, it's impossible to do it in a vacuum, especially these days. Yeah. Hey, well, first of all, I appreciate uh, the kind words uh, about the community. And, you know, the... Um... The other thing is, and it's, it's funny, every time I ask that question, there are a couple of things that tend to be common things that come up. One is support system, you know, have support system. That's come up a lot. But two, you know, it, it's generally, you know, the, the things folks talk about when I ask them that is, you know, that, that journey between where they were and where they want to be and the challenges that go along with that. And, and if you take the journey of a pivot that I know a lot of people are considering these days, it's not easy because this world has seen you in, by a certain lens sometimes for so long. And then you pivot into something different and you tell the world, well, I'm this. It takes a little while for the world to catch up with that mentality. And you just have to know how to change that narrative and uh, sell yourself and and it does happen and it will happen you just have to have the patience i mean you're living proof of that right Ange? at 100 percent, couldn't say it better myself and i think um i think that's why you and i are, are do what we do at this point and in our own careers because we've kind of lived it and i think there's just uh you know the masses are, are out there and they're struggling and uh i, I couldn't agree more I, I would encourage everybody to you know, to put yourself first a little bit, put your career first and, 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 you know, get the right support system, get the coaching that, that you need. It's, it's, you're not going to be disappointed and, and it can have not only incremental effects on yourself, but your family, your bank account, everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It can. 
Well, Ange, you you've you've cracked the door to coming back and having another conversation. I'm writing it down. There it is. It's on the paper. There. <laughs> Be so more than happy to. Yeah, more than happy. Would love to, to continue that conversation. But uh, thank you so much for the insight and wisdom. The one, two, three punch. Uh, boy, I, I think there's so much value in that for folks. And thank you for so freely sharing that with the audience here today. Any final words you'd like to leave folks with? No, uh, I just uh, appreciate the time and, uh, you know, always here as a resource to, to support you and your community, Mark. So feel free to reach out at any time. That's and right back at you. Can't wait for the next time that our paths cross. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you've got advice that people have been putting in action for over 20 years and you've got a 90% success rate, I'd say that's advice that would be important to consider. Here again are the three key pieces of Angie's one, two, three punch. First, even if you already have seen the goals and objectives of the position on the job description, make sure to ask the hiring manager for their opinion about it. There's so much you can learn from their answer. Second, make sure to ask the hiring manager's opinion about the personality traits of the right person for the job. They'll give you the inside track about the person they need on their team. And third, Ask them, based on everything they've seen so far, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do they visualize you being the right fit for the role? This is really going to give them a chance to see you in that role and to know you are the right hire. Thanks again for listening, and remember to continue to be proactive, be intentional, and keep moving forward.